If you're able, you remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to Psalm 28. Last Sunday afternoon, we considered Psalm 27. This morning, we're going to consider Psalm 28. Psalm 28, this is the word of our Lord. A psalm of David. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to their work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this song of old. We pray that you speak to our hearts through it. For asking in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As it is so common in the book of Psalms, once again we find David in trouble. Once again we find David being persecuted by his enemies. He's surrounded by his enemies. And though we can't know exactly when this happened, as is true of so many of the other psalms of David when he's being persecuted, we can clearly see what David does when he's surrounded by his enemies. You read this, and uh, there is a transition from uh, the the beginning, middle, to the end of Psalm, where in the beginning you see uh, a clear note of fear on David's part, that God is not going to hear his prayer, that God is not listening to him, and that transitions to a statement of faith uh, following verses 6 and to the end there as well. Psalm 28 reveals how David turns to the Lord from the edge of the pit. David is uh, is poetic language, so we find that often, where David finds himself in the pit or in the grave, as good as dead, or in the mire, in the bottom of a well where there's only mud and he's stuck there and he's surrounded by his enemies. He often paints a very grim picture of his reality, and in doing that, he really helps us relate to him. We tend to often see our lives in grim, in grim ways and we in sad situations like David was. And the man after God's own heart himself suffered. Suffered in the hands of his enemies. Suffered in his own hands. Struggled with sin and were able to relate to him and be able, we're able to also learn from him. So you see here in Psalm 28 how David turns to the Lord from the edge of the pit in, in observing what David did 3,000 years ago, we can learn at least four important things. 
And that's our goal for today. We're going to try to learn four important things from this psalm. And then we're going to try to apply it and see how we can grow from these four important things that we're learning from this psalm. The first one is this. In verses 1 and 2, we learn that in times of turmoil, we must cry to God for help. In times of turmoil, we must cry to God for help. Look at verses 1 and 2. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. In desperation, David seeks the covenant God of Israel. Not just any Savior, but the God who had saved him. The God who had established covenant with his people. The God of Israel, Yahweh himself. He knows that God alone can answer prayer, so he doesn't care how foolish he sounds as he dangles over death. He comes to God. He's experienced the Lord's deliverance before, so he comes to God. For example, in Psalm 30, verse 3, he says, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. So he, he knows that God answers his prayer. He knows that God has the power to answer his prayers. And he knows that God wants to answer his prayer, so he, he doesn't care what everybody else Thinks he cries out to the Lord asking for deliverance. And God called David calls upon the Lord who is his rock, his place of refuge, his solid footing, and considers his life as good as done if Yahweh does not deliver him. If the Lord does not deliver him, David says, My life is as good as done. He knows, of course, that God always hears our prayers even before they leave our tongue. In Psalm 139, David says, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So he lifts up his hands like a toddler reaching for his father and says, O Lord, I need you. I stopped by Brandon and Grace's house this week to drop something and then I went in to see Red. And for the first time, Red went like this to me. It was like, ah, <laughs> right here. Whatever money I have, you can have red. And the one the credit cards too. You know. But that's the picture that, uh, that uh, David is saying. He's lifting up his hands to God as a toddler reaching for his father, knowing, Lord, I need your help. You are the only one that can help me. Pick me up and rescue me. He's doing what Jeremiah encouraged Judah to do in the book of Lamentations. He says, Arise, cry out in the night, and at the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward Him for the life of your own children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. Pray to God, David says. Lift your hands to God as if it matters because it matters. He stretches out his hands toward the Holy of Holies. Where Yahweh dwells, where the Lord dwells among His people, and where once a year the high priest offers sacrifices to atone for sins. In verse um, 2, he says, Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry out, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, the holy of holies. David cries for help on the basis of the shed blood sprinkled on the mercy seat once a year. That's what drives him to God. God, you have atoned for, for my sin. I reach out to you, answer my prayer in time of need. So also we, we cry to our God in times of desperation. Remember the tax collector and the publican in the parable that Jesus presents in Luke 18, where they both come before the Lord and the Pharisee comes super proud. Lord, thank you that I'm not like people like this man. I do all these great things 
And the tax collector, knowing his need, knowing his desperation, he can't even look up. He beats his chest and says, Be merciful to me, a sinner. We cry out to our God in times of desperation because He is our rock as we are sliding down the pit, our ever-present Father, the hearer of our prayers, and the answers to the answer to all our prayers. He is the judge who demands our holiness, but also the Savior who grants us mercy. He is the atonement for our sins, no longer through the blood of bulls and goats, and not just once a year, but every moment of every day through the blood of His own Son. So we turn first to God, into our time of need, time and again, we turn to God. Spurgeon, in commenting on this particular psalm, he says, We stretch out empty hands, for we are beggars. We lift them up, for we seek heavenly supplies. We lift them toward the mercy seat of Jesus, for there our expectation dwells. Is this how you're praying, brothers and sisters? Are you crying out to the Lord with empty hands, reaching out to Him as a toddler, who knows that his father is the only one that can help him. And too often we pray with a bland routine like checking out items out of a prayer list. Yet if we are hanging on a cliff by our fingernails, if our life depends on it, we wouldn't whisper in a soft whisper, Hello, is anybody there? When you have a chance, can you help me out because I'm about to die? No, you'd scream at the top of your lungs, come and help me for I need your help. In the same way, a little oomph in our prayers will reflect our desperation and our need before the Lord. I don't mean a contrived, a, a, some enacted or th- theatrical oomph, but a real oomph, a real cry to the Lord, knowing that our hope is only in, in Him. So in troubled times, we really learn to pray. Do you ever notice that? That it's not in times where everything is going well, but it's in the times of trouble, when we are in the pit with David, that we really learn how much we need the Lord. It's in those times that we cry out to the Lord. So, first thing we learn, we will cry out to the Lord who is our salvation. Secondly, we learn from David here in verses 3 to 5, call out God's enemies in your prayers. Call out God's enemies. Verses 3 through 5, as you read them, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Uh, they are an imprecation that is, is David's praying, God's judgment upon the enemies of God, and yet is the very word of God given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us to live it out. In verses 3 through 5, David says, Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve, because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of His hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. Whoa. That's a heavy prayer. Right there. But as we cry to God for help, we then call his enemies by name. Like a spotter on the battlefield that calls the, the coordinates of the enemy so that the, the, the bombardment can start, start or a more modern days uh, 
um, parlance, the guy that goes with the scope and the laser so that the planes can come and just drop the bombs on the specific spot, are, are prayers to the Lord. And at the center of this psalm, in verses 4 and 5, David prays for Yahweh, for the Lord, to give the wicked what they deserve. To judge them not simply as evildoers, but also for scorning what God has done. So David is not asking that the Lord punishes David's enemies. He's asking that the Lord punishes God's enemies who scorned him. If you are a scorner of God, I want you to notice you are in a very dangerous spot. The judgment of God is upon you. And unless you repent, turn from your sins and embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no hope in this life or in the life to come. But the beauty of the gospel is that the moment you repent, the Lord counts the wrath that's yours to be Jesus and the cross to be that payment and adopts you as his son, as his daughter. David says here that, that they don't, these the enemies don't revere God as the creator and redeemer. So David prays that God would tear them down like rebellious cities and never build them up again. And God says he's going to do that. In Jeremiah 1, verse 10, it says this, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And you say, yes, we want the enemies of God destroyed. And yet, you and I, were those enemies at one point. The same might be said of us, for the wages of sin is death. And here it's not just ceasing to exist, it's destruction, it's spiritual destruction forever, existing in a state of experiencing the displeasure and wrath of God. This, this, is, this is us without Christ. Yet in Christ Jesus, we are promised eternal favor instead of judgment. In Christ, we do not receive the wages we deserve, but instead the free gift of eternal life. In Christ, we are not dragged off with the wicked or cast into the pit of death. Brothers and sisters, we deserve God's silence and we deserve the scourge of Satan. So we seek to be rewarded, not for our evil deeds, but for the deeds of Christ who formed us at creation, restored us in redemption and promises the hope of our eternal life. We name our enemies, but we also name the name of Christ as the name above every, every other name, the name that has rescued us from the pit of hell. Now, Psalm 28 points us to our Savior, to Christ, the perfect God-man who alone could cry out to his Father, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity. He was the only one that could truly pray that. Publicly, his enemies called him evil and, possess, and, and called him possessed by demons. A friend of tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, they accused him falsely of speaking blasphemy against the Romans, against the Lord, and against the Lord's house. They came at him with swords and clubs as if he were a robber, then crucified him on a Roman cross between two criminals. And from that cross, our Savior cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or with the words of Psalm 28, Why do you not hear my cry for help? Why torment me with silence? And yet from the same cross, 
our greater David did not call down judgment on the wicked nor settle them with the debt of sin. Instead, he cried on their behalf, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In death, he made payment for our evil deeds. In death, he was dragged away to take the wages we deserve. In death, he made atonement for our sins as he heard our pleas for mercy. But then, from death, he rose again in victory. And because of that, call out God's enemies by name. Name the fleshly passions which reveal your sin, pride, idolatry, addiction, ingratitude. Name the worldly ideologies which pervade your thinking. Name the oppressors who seek to do you harm. Name the devil and his, and his deceptions. Name the final enemy, death, and any sickness that lead to death. Name them. Name them in your prayers and call the Lord to give what they deserve. These are right and proper prayers against a fallen world and the consequences of human sin. Battle prayers are made in earnest. So name your enemy. What is your enemy? Your own sin is your greatest enemy. Name them before the Lord and ask Him to deliver you from those sins. Thirdly, count on God's answer. Count on God's answer. Count that God is going to answer your prayers. In verse 6 and 7, David says, Blessed be the Lord, because He has heard my, the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield, that my heart trusted in Him, and I'm helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise Him. Notice that the answer to his prayer wasn't relief from the enemies, wasn't sparing his life, but was a greater trust in the Lord. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. That was the answer. And as we pray, we count on God to answer. Instead of growing anxious about all the possible outcomes, David trusts that God will do His work and combats his worry with anticipatory faith, what God is going to do on his behalf. First, he trusts in God, my strength, who is our pillar of support, a firm foundation, a refuge in the storm, and a mighty fortress. These are all ways that God is called in the Psalms of David. Brother, sister, God is at his strongest when we are at our weakest, when we realize that. David also trusts in God, my shield, as he calls it, the God who is our protection in the battle and in defender from any enemy blows. He goes before us as a shield around us. So also, we rejoice in God even when we can't rejoice in circumstances. We trust Him as our strength in times of weakness, our shield when we are afraid, and our eternal song when we are tempted to grumble and complain. So, people of God, with anticipatory faith, with faith that's looking for what God is going to do, we count on God to answer. And fourthly, we covenant with God's people. Look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord is their strength, and He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. We covenant with God's people as David intercedes for Israel and in some marvelous way for us as well. David's prayer for Israel is 
his prayer for us as we're covenanted together before God and with God. And I want you to notice this anointed there in verse 8, at the very end of verse 8, is more than just a human king, but a forever king appointed by God to serve as Savior for his people. He would receive them, us, as his royal inheritance. For God's people who belong to God alone could not be claimed by any other than the Son of God himself. So here we have, you and I are the inheritance of the Lord. I would say that he got the short end of the stick on this one. He gave his life so that he could gain us as the king anointed of the Lord. Out of all the treasures in his inheritance, God chose you to be his priceless heirloom passed down from generations. David also delights in Yahweh, in the Lord, as the shepherd who carries Israel like a sheep. If you look at verse 9, it says, Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. The Lord guides his people through the wilderness into the land of promise, protects them in the valley of death, and delivers them from his enemies. He is their shepherd. He leads them beside still waters and makes them lie down in green pastures. He carries them. Not just in salvation, but forever and all and always. And this notion of being carried by the Lord is important. Compare our God with the idols of this world, who must themselves be carried and do nothing more than weigh us down. Even when we are taken captive, those idols can't save us. Notice what Isaiah says concerning the idols of this world. In Isaiah 46, verse 1 and 2, Isaiah says, Bell bows down, evil stoops, their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but they have themselves gone into captivity. Do you see the picture of the, the absurdity that, that uh, Isaiah is painting here? So here you have Bel and Nebo, the two great gods of Babylon, and the people would establish their statues. They would bow down to them. And when they were done, done bowing down, they would grab the statues. The statues themselves would bow down into a bag. And now they have to be carried by a piece of burden that's overburdened because these, these gods cannot do anything for them. But have to be carried themselves. Well, David says... That our God bears us up forever. How much better is the one true God who carries us from womb to tomb, from birth to our old age. We are humbled by our weakness, our dependence, and our inability to save ourselves. Yet we are also humbled by God's mercy and His sacrifice on our behalf. So do not insist He puts you down. Don't say, God, I don't want you to bear me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Leave me alone. Don't insist that. Rather, trust the Lord to be your salvation and your shepherd. Ask Him to bear you. Ask Him, him to carry you every day of your life. And as we think of these things, it has to make a difference in our lives. A sermon does nothing if all that we do is sit there and say, Oh, good, uh-huh, and then walk away and we don't practice it. Because God calls us to be not only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. So I want you to do this. And this idea of, of bearing, of being born by the Lord, being carried by the Lord. I want you to compare how idolaters must carry their own gods instead of trusting the one true God to carry them. 
And you say, well, I don't know anybody has little idols and little statues. And that's fine, but you all have idols of your heart that you have to carry around that do nothing for you except for burdening you. Again, Isaiah 45, verse 20 says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Your idol cannot save you. Your idol cannot do anything except for burdening you. Interesting that Isaiah, uh, Isaiah makes a lot of fun of the idolaters. It says, here they come before a cedar tree. They chop the cedar tree down. With half of it, they cook, they, they cook their lunch. And with the other half, they bow down as if it was a god. And when we have these idols of our hearts, that's what we're doing. We're bowing down to things that are not gods at all. that are going to only bear us down. So what is it that's bearing you down? What's burdening you down? What is the idol that you treasure in your heart that's slowing you down, burdening you, causing you to actually go towards the pit and not towards the Lord? That's not our God. Our God carries us, bears us. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says that he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. He will carry you in his bosom. So, as you apply this, as you seek to live this out, because you want to be a doer, not just a hearer of the word. Because if you're just a hearer, you're just a foolish, it's like the foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. And when the troubles of life hit you, guess what's going to happen to your life? It's going to be destroyed, just like that life. So as you seek to do the things that we talk about this morning, name the specific enemies that you face. What are the fleshly passions that you're facing? What are the sins that you're struggling with? What is the things that you're treasuring that's against God's word? Name them and repent from them. What are the human oppressors that are in your life? Worldly ideologies, spiritual enemies, physical sickness, death itself. Name them before the Lord, who is the only one that can help you with them. And still think about this idea of being born by the Lord, that He is bearing us. Imagine your life if you were paraplegic, if you're completely paralyzed, dependent on others for your mobility. That's exactly what God calls us to be in Him, to be completely dependent on Him for everything. And as you think of that, does it comfort you to, or humble you to know that the Lord will carry you forever? You are that tetraplegic, you are that one that cannot do anything for you, and yet God picks you up, takes you out of the mire pit, puts you upon a rock, and gives you a song so that you can sing for His glory and live for His kingdom. And He carries you every step of the way, bearing you with Him. The Lord also promises to save you as His blessed heritage there in verse 9. How does it transform your identity? To be the precious inheritance of Christ himself. When you think about it, that you are what Christ inherited. That he went to the cross so that he could get you. How does that, 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 how, how does that affect the way you think? Remember what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12? For the joy set before him endured the cross. What is that joy? Well, part of that is you. It was for you that he endured the cross. God the Father and God the Son from eternity past covenanted with one another. God the Father said, I'll give you a people. God the Son said, I'll give you my life. And the result is you, as me, being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then use this psalm to meditate on the character of God, on the God to whom you pray. 
go home later today after the afternoon service, read this psalm and see who God is and how that's going to affect your life. He's the God, my rock in verse one. He's my God who grants mercy in verse 2. He's my trustworthy God who helps me in verses 2 and 7. My holy God who atones for sin in verse 2. My God who does justly in verses 3 through 5. My God who hears in verse 6. My God who keeps his promises in verse 1, 6, and 7, and 8. God my strength in verse 7 and 8. God my song in verse 7. God my shield in verse 7. God my salvation in verse 8 and 9. God my shepherd in verse 9. Think about who your God is from Psalm 28 and see how that affects the way you relate to him. This is our God. You've heard his word. Now we go and do the things he calls us to do. Let us pray together. (coughs) Oh Lord, hear our cry for help. Don't judge us like an unbeliever, but instead show us mercy. We praise you, Father, with anticipatory faith. We trust in you, our strength, our shield, our song of thanks. Jesus, save your people and shepherd them forever as you promised to bear them. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.